When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, welcome back in, everybody. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I'm Tom Powell. And the reason why you should go get margaritas this week is because we might finally be seeing the end of the Bill Belichick era in the NFL, which I'm going to discuss here in a little bit, but that's reason enough to go get yourself some margaritas. We might actually be looking at the end of what was once the Patriots dynasty. Tom Brady is out of the NFL. Bill Belichick is on his ver- on the verge of being fired by the uh, the uh, New England Patriots. So, fingers crossed, ladies and gentlemen, that we are at the end of the Bill Belichick era. And if that is the case, I suggest you go out and get yourself some margaritas and celebrate accordingly today. <clears throat> I suggest multiple frozen and domestic uh, strawberry domestic. What am I talking about? Uh, any hoodles. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second in the uh, podcast section, but before we do, as always, uh, if you have a minute, swing by uh, the website, which is oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me, including uh, links on where you can buy my books. I have uh, two self-published books available in paperback and e-format. They are uh, entitled A Grateful Life, The Life Story of a Husband, Father, and Taco-Loving Deadhead, and Dearest Renee, Letters from the Coronavirus War of 2020. You're going to find a link to my Patreon podcast, Off Topic with Tom Powell. Um, it used to be called Taco Tuesdays with Tom Powell, and I did 30-some episodes and put the uh, podcast on hold and brought it back here recently, reformatted, and that's a podcast where I interview people about uh, their lives, what they do, and what they've got coming up. So uh, there have been two episodes of Off Topic so far. The first episode featured my conversation with uh, a hospice nurse, and we talked about end-of-life care. If you're on TikTok, it's Hospice Nurse Julie. Uh, the second episode featured Joe from Unlearn 16. Uh, we talked about the differences between Canada and the United States. We talked about educating in the modern era. We, we talked about all kinds of things. And uh, this coming week, uh, actually on uh, Tuesday of this week, there will be uh, episode number three will air, and I will be uh, interviewing or having a conversation with. I hate to, I hate to say that I'm interviewing people because who the fuck am I to interview anybody? You know, some fucking schmuck in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, so I'll be having a conversation with, let's let's call it that, uh, with Franco in the Morning, a radio DJ who's been in the business for a very long time, and we're going to be discussing all things 
radio industry, all things music industry. We're going to be discussing the things he has seen and the evolution of the industry over the years, and it's going to be a good conversation. So uh, you got you got to go check out that podcast. It's on Patreon only. I do two episodes a month, and it's four dollars and twenty cents for the month. So for under five bucks, you're getting over two hours of additional entertainment and podcasts that you can only hear on that platform. Plus, I post images, pictures there that I only post there. You can't see them anywhere else because if I post them anywhere else, I'm going to get uh, my accounts taken down. I can't post the images on, on Facebook or uh, Instagram. I could probably post them on Twitter, but who gives a fuck about Twitter? I mean, that's really just for yelling at people that are stupid at this point in time. So anyway, uh, you're going to find a link to my Patreon podcast on my website. You're also going to find a link to my store. Like anybody else, I have merch, uh, over 400 items for you to choose from. My holiday merch is out. My Thanksgiving stuff, as well as my Christmas stuff, is out now. T-shirts and hoodies and ornaments and coasters and wine tumblers and buttons and magnets and you name it, there's, it's there. You're going to find links on where you can follow me on the various social media sites, uh, links to other podcasts I've appeared on. I've appeared on a half a dozen other podcasts, as well as articles that I've appeared in. Uh, you're going to read, uh, you're going to see a, a page dedicated to my blog. I have done my blog articles sparingly over the years, but I am back to doing them every week. And we're going to be produce. we, I am going to be uh, uh, putting a new blog article up, knock on wood every Wednesday moving forward. So make sure you go subscribe that you just got to put your email address in and it'll email you automatically when a new blog article appears, uh, as well as links on how you can contact me and support me in general. Once again, that's oldhippymedia.com, oldhippiepiemedia.com. That's enough pimping for this episode, so let's move into the actual news that we want to talk about. And because it's the football season, we always begin with a small, short football segment that includes my picks, sure to go wrong. So, first things first, last week I went 8-5 and five in my picks, bringing my season record to 71-56. and 56. Uh, not a great record, but I'm still above 500. I'm still in the winning column, so I'll take it as a victory. Uh, and if for those of you who might be joining us for the first time, listening to my picks for the first time and doing some math in your head and going, well, that doesn't add up because there have been more games than you've picked. Because my podcast airs on Friday, I don't pick the Thursday games. So those are Sunday and Monday games only. And as I mentioned in the intro... This week, we got the news that we might be looking at the end of the Bill Belichick era. We are on the Bill Belichick firing watch. And uh, that makes me extremely happy. Extremely happy. Because Bill Belichick is a bucket of shit. He's a cheating motherfucker who owes all of his success to other people. I mean, look what he did in Cleveland before he went to the New England Patriots. Look what he's done in, in New England without Tom Brady and his... Uh, uh, he, well, he hasn't won shit since he lost his offensive and defensive coordinators who helped him win the rings. <clears throat> Bill Belichick is a myth, ladies and gentlemen. He's a myth. you got to stop giving this guy credit as the greatest coach of all time. He's not. He's not. You can look at people uh, and think they are the greatest coach of all time and have a legitimate case for him. Don Shula, for example. Chuck Knoll, people like that. You, you can look at uh, Walsh out in San Francisco. You can, you can find 
all-time great coaches. Bill Belichick is not one of them. He's a myth. He's a fraud. He's a mirage. Everything that is associated with Bill Belichick should have a fucking asterisk next to it. So the fact that he is on the verge of getting fired, as a matter of fact, the rumor around the NFL uh, world is that if he loses to my Colts this weekend, he's out. So, <laughs> do you know how fucking ecstatic I would be if my Colts were the team that shut the door on the Bill Belichick era forever? <laughs> need to contain myself because nothing has happened yet and it might not even happen but the fact that we're this close to it is just i mean you could cut glass with my nipples i'm so fucking excited so let's go ahead and get to this week's picks so we can get on with the news of the week Uh, this week obviously with the exception of the thursday game where oh by the way the chicago bears beat the carolina panthers now the bears are, are one of the worst teams in the league, and the Carolina Panthers, believe it or not, are even worse than the Bears with just one win, and the Bears own not only their own first-round draft pick next year, but they own the Carolina Panthers' first-round draft pick next year uh, as a result of a trade, so it is extraordinarily possible that as a result of the Bears and the Panthers both sucking hind tit that the Bears could end up with two top five draft picks. And you want to know something? I hope they do. I hope the Bears end up with two top five draft picks because when they blow those two uh, top five draft picks the way they've blown every other fucking draft pick in the history of the fucking organization with the exception of Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, and Dick Butkus, then that's going to be some history-setting shit, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing if you typically blow your first round to a draft pick year after year after year after year after year but if you blow two top five draft picks in the same year <laughs> that's going to be a special feat ladies and gentlemen so anyway without any further ado let's go ahead and get to the picks and remember do not take these picks and go bet with them because if you do you're going to lose fucking money remember i was eight and five last week i'm 71 and 56 on the on the season you take my draft pick or my uh, my weekly picks and you go out and bet your own hard-earned money with them with all due respect you're a dumb fuck so don't fucking do that this week's winners will be the Colts, yes, I am taking the Colts to beat the New England uh, Patriots and send Bill Belichick packing forever. The Colts, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Saints, the Steelers, the Titans, the Falcons, the Lions, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Raiders, and the Bills. Those are my picks sure to go wrong. Do not go bet with them. You've been warned. Now, as you know, if you follow this podcast for any length of time, we talk politics here primarily. It's not to say that that's the only thing we talk about, but we talk politics here. The first story, however, is a non-political story. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. All right. Uh, I don't know why I had a little note here saying that I'm going to try to upload this in video format to... uh, to YouTube, uh, I think that was a note for myself not to be read out loud, so ignore that. And we move into Leonard Skinnerd announcing a co-headlining tour in 2024 with none other than 
ZZ Top, ladies and gentlemen. That little old band from Texas, the greatest trio to ever live. I'm going to read to you now from USA Today. American classic rock wizards ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner are uniting for another co-headlining North American tour. The sharp-dressed Simple Man tour will take over 36 cities across the nation in 2024. Both bands unveiled on Monday. The tour kicks off March 8th at N Market Arena in Savannah, Georgia, before making stops throughout the Southeast in the spring. After a more than three-month break between April 20th and August 9th, the tour wraps up in Ridgefield, Washington on September 22nd. Special guests on the tour are Blackstone Cherry and the Outlaws. That's a hell of an outlaw, uh, a lineup. The Outlaws, Blackstone Cherry, ZZ Top, and Leonard Skinner. But they are not drawn major, major, major venues. Like when, they, when, when you would think that Chicago would be on the list and they would be playing something like the United Center, Soldier Field. No, the closest that they will get to Chicago is Moline, Illinois. When they play the Vibrant Arena on April 13th. And that, that's surprising and disappointing to say the least. Now, obviously, these uh, these bands are not what they once were. They don't even have all of the original members. ZZ uh, Top lost Dusty. Leonard Skinner has obviously lost a handful of people. But they're still two of the biggest names in classic rock with a couple of decent bands uh, rounding out the uh, the uh, the lineup. So I, I'm kind of surprised that Moline, Illinois is the closest that they're going to get to Chicago. But I'm going to bet that's still going to be a hell of a show. So if you're in the market for some classic rock in 2024, check out the Sharp Dressed Simple Man Tour, which is a, a pretty cool name for the tour, uh, considering the two bands and playing off of uh, some of their uh, biggest hits. Okay, let's move on to the politics, where I have... Listen, I don't shed a tear when some vile sack of shit loses his life after a lifetime of trying to oppose others. Um, But it can still be sad to their family and friends that they lost a loved one. And this story that I'm going to read you is a perfect example of why outing people can be dangerous. Now, is it still important to out people? Depends on the circumstance. If you have somebody that uh, is oppressing members of the LGBTQ plus community, oppressing trans people, oppressing gay people, oppressing people who are not like them, not normal, um, and then they get outed for the hypocr- hypo- hypocrite they are, for the hypocrisy that they, uh, that they live through, then I think it's important to shine a light on those people. It can be dangerous. Outing anybody can be dangerous. Case in point, an Alabama mayor has committed suicide after his own side outed him. I'm going to read to you now from NPR. FL, I don't know what that stands for. FL Bubba Copeland, Bubba being his nickname, 
wore many hats in the small city of Smith Station in East Alabama. He was the mayor, a pastor, and the owner of a local grocery store. He was also a husband and a father. But in the days before Copeland took his life, the 49-year-old was revealed to have another identity, this time of a man who liked to dress up as a woman and write erotic fiction. Let me just pause the story right there. There's nothing wrong with that. The only time something is wrong with that is if you like to dress up like a woman and write erotic fiction, but you tell other people who dress up like women and write erotic fiction fiction that they are an abnormality, that they're an aberration, that they are a problem with society, as many of these right-wing pastors and politicians do. Anyway, back to the story. <clears throat> On Wednesday... 1819 News, a website previously owned by the conservative Alabama Policy Institute, wrote that Copeland used a string of social media accounts under a pseudonym. The outlet also included several photos of Copeland in women's clothing and makeup that the site said were posted under the accounts. Two days later, Copeland killed himself, the Lee County Sheriff's Office said. A funeral uh, service for Copeland is scheduled for Thursday. It's impossible to know all the factors that led to Copeland's suicide, but his death puts a spotlight on media ethics and when, if ever, it's appropriate to publish stories on people's private lives. 1819 News published a series of articles on Copeland. The social media accounts belonging to Copeland described a transgender woman in the process of medically transitioning, 1819 News says. But Copeland told the outlet he was not actually doing so. He added that his wife knew of his private hobby, 1819 News said. Copeland told his congregation on Wednesday at a weekly prayer service that he was under an internet attack. He admitted to taking photos of himself in women's clothing, but added a lot of things that were said were taken out of context. The article is not who I am, who or what I am. I apologize for any embarrassment caused by my private or personal life that has become public. Two days later, and hours before Copeland's death, the outlet released another article focused on fictional stories and social media posts it says were produced under Copeland's pseudonym. 1819 News alleged that Copeland had used the pseudonym and photos of real community members in these posts without their consent. The article emphasized one fictional narrative about a trans woman uh, infatuated with a local business owner that turned deadly. 1819 News said that uh, the business owner character was inspired by a real-life person and business familiar to Copeland. 1819 News did not respond to NPR's NPR's request for comment. On Friday, the outlet reported on Copeland's death and expressed its condolences. Quote, Our prayers are with the residents of Smith Station, the parishioners of First Baptist Church of Phoenix City, and Copeland's family, the outlet wrote. So clearly, uh, Bubba Copeland was dealing with some shit. And shit that he didn't want to have public. Now, should it have been made public? No, probably not. But should a spotlight be played if uh, Copeland ever spent any of his time reeling away against the very same people that he actually was in his real life? Yeah, maybe. We got to call out the hypocrisy when we see it, right? In this case, we didn't even have to do it. His own side did it. A conservative news outlet did it. And it wound up costing this guy his life. And now, 
His wife is a widow. His kids don't have their parent. And that might not be a sad thing to everybody involved out there if those people are the same as some of the other far-right-wing conservatives. But it's still a shining example of what members of the LGBTQ plus community go through all the fucking time. In many cases, you have people that are afraid to reveal who they really are. And, and then when it is revealed who they really are, it, it causes trauma to them. It causes embarrassment to them. It causes heartache to them. They weren't ready to reveal who they are. And bad things can happen. And I hope, I'm not holding my breath, but I hope that Republican politicians will see this news story and go, shit, man, you know, we, we really don't take into consideration what this community goes through. This is one of our own. And I'll bet, this is just my own personal opinion on this, I'll bet that Mr. Copeland was deathly afraid of people finding out who he was because of the type of people who he associated with. He was a far right-wing conservative, right? He was a, it was a right-wing conservative, he was a Republican politician, and he was a pastor. None of the people in that flock typically accept people like his alter ego. And I guess that's the point of me putting this in the podcast today is to the people around Bubba Copeland, the people in his life, friends, family, the employees that worked for him at the grocery store, the politicians that, that, ha- that had to, uh, to pass legislation with him or, you know, whatever. It was a small town. I'm sure they weren't, you know, solving uh, major issues or anything of that nature. But you know what I'm saying. The people in his immediate orbit. Was he a different person because who he was behind closed doors? Was he no longer Bubba Copeland? Was he no longer the guy who owned the, the little store, grocery store in town? To the people who worked at the grocery store, was he no longer the boss that you worked for? The manager that you had? Whatever. To the people in his parish, was he not the same guy that you knew? I mean, did he not... I don't know. I'm asking. Did he not inspire you with his his sermons, his services? Did he not uh, give you moments of hope and moments of levity and moments of insight through his words from the pulpit? That's the fucking point I guess I'm trying to make is to the people around him, take a look at what happened to him and then ask yourself, was any... Was anything about him other than that something that you would have objected to? And if the answer is no, then think about how you're treating people who are different than you without knowing anything about them. Here's somebody you did know about, and he was one of these people that you guys claim to hate, these people that you guys think are different, they're an abnormality. I don't know, maybe just start treating people with fucking respect and who gives a shit what they wear and who they love and how they love. I mean, who who fucking cares? It doesn't affect you. 
If something affects you, I understand you getting angry about it. Believe me, I've we've been talking about anger for a long time around here, and and I get angry at a lot, at a lot of different things that affect me and mine. This doesn't affect you. So he went home and he put on women's clothing and he likes to uh, write erotic fiction. Who fucking cares? Anyway, I press on with uh, an odd story. Uh, Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, and his son monitor each other's porn viewing habits. I'm going to read to you now from Yahoo News. House Speaker Mike Johnson's unusual porn habits could have ramifications for the entire country. In a newly resurfaced video from 2022, the newly minted speaker admitted that he and his son monitor each other's porn intake using a third-party subscription software called Covenant Eyes that watches all their electronic devices. For $16.99 a month, the app drafts a habit report and shares it with an accountability partner, which in Johnson's case is his teenage son, Jack. Quote, what it does, real simply, is it has an algorithm and a software. It's way above my head how it works, but it scans, you obviously opt into it, but it scans all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, what have you. We do all of it. Then it sends a report to your accountability partner, Johnson said. My accountability partner right now is Jack, my son. He's 17, so excuse me. he and I get a report about all of the things that are on our phones, all of our devices, once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate notice, Johnson replied. I'm proud to tell you my son has, gotten, has got a clean slate, he added. Aside from the weirdness of having your son watch your porn intake and vice versa, the implications of having one of the most prominent leaders in government under the watchful eye of an intrusive software have not been lost on some who believe the app could pose a national security risk. Quote, a U.S. congressman is allowing a third-party tech company to scan all of his electronic devices daily and then uploading reports to his son about what he's watching or not watching. I mean... Who else is accessing this data, tweeted the user Receipt Maven, who first uh, resurfaced the video. Johnson held a low profile in the U.S. legislature until his unexpected rise to prominence in October uh, of this year, when this long-shot bid suddenly materialized under a historically divided Republican caucus that rejected senior leadership for the uh, role, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Representative Jim Jordan. Now... Listen, you do whatever the hell you want to do, man. If you want to uh, allow your son to watch your porn habits and you want to see the porn habits of your son, I'm not going to object to it. it just what I don't understand about the far, I mean, the security risk thing I agree with, right? I mean, it's unless they've got separate electronic devices uh, on which they're, they're doing business that aren't being monitored by some third-party device, then it, it does pose uh, at least some form of a security risk. But why is it that the, fo- the folks on the, the far Christian right, the religious right, not just the political right, the religious right, 
Why are they so fucking obsessed with porn? I'm a straight male that loves getting his fucking rocks off. And I don't watch porn. Like, haven't free... My wife and I watched a porn movie a couple of weeks ago for the first time, and I don't fucking know how long. Like, okay, to give you an idea of how long it's been, so we got rid of all of our our, our cable. Uh, we got rid of the uh, the the cable uh, television. We got rid of the cable Wi-Fi. We got rid of all of it, and we went to streaming services. And so now we have these Roku TVs with this fucking stick stuck in the back of it, and we have Netflix. Amazon Prime Video, which is part of the Amazon Prime thing anyway, uh, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney Plus. It's like a, it's a it's a series of streaming services. And my wife and I were talking. I go, oh, okay, let's let's watch a porno. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. Let's, let's watch porno. It took us an hour and a half to find out how we get fucking porn on the TV. Like I'm going through all of these streaming services going is there no porn section and my wife's like yeah i don't think there is it's it's not like you know cable where you can go in and you can rent a porn movie or something like that these streaming services they none of them have it none of them so we're like ready to fucking go let's watch a porn movie we've got fucking proper lighting and all kinds of shit and hour and a half later we're like wait a minute i finally had to figure out how to get it on your phone and then project it up onto the TV. It, oh, it was a fucking, it was a process. I've never worked. Let me just pause for a minute and think about this. It's been a long time since I've worked that hard to get my fucking rocks off. You know what I mean? I was about to say, I've never worked harder for a nut in my life, but that's probably inaccurate. Because in my younger days, I probably put in a lot of work on some cases. Yeah. Yeah, there were there were a few times where it was like, God damn, you're on the clock. Uh, but uh, my point being is, liberal left can't even tell you how to get fucking porn on his TV. The farthest right of the far right. Oh, we're going to have to monitor each other's porn habits. Why? If you're into porn, which you always find out that these far right wing Christian conservatives are, right? They always are. It never fucking fails. There's always something <laughs> that 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 surfaces. You know, you're bound to find something on this guy. This guy is into. Uh, gay little people porn or, uh, you know, anything featuring an amputee. You, you mark my word, it's going to come out at some point in time. It's just, it's just so fucking weird, man, that, that they're always so obsessed with porn. I, I don't know, man, maybe if you had a better relationship with your wife, and I don't know what kind of relationship you got with your wife, but maybe if you were getting laid, you wouldn't need to watch porn. You want to know why I haven't watched porn in in a quarter of a century? Because I have a porn star in my bed if I want it. It, it. Get a good relationship, man. Have a healthy relationship. Well, healthy relationship. Have a relationship that has a healthy sex life. Do I have a healthy relationship? I mean, I like to think I do, but who the fuck knows? I mean, I'm nuttier than a squirrel turd, so I can't imagine that it's too healthy of a relationship, but goddamn, the sex is good. You know what I mean? So just, Speaker Johnson, 
And I mean, dude, your last name is Johnson. How about you get laid? You know what I mean? Have the missus do that thing with with her tongue that you like, you know? Personally, I, I like my sack sucked. So get into it. You know what I mean? Just look at her and go, here's what I want, all right? I want you to crawl across the room with a grape in your mouth while winking at me, and then I just want you to lick every part of my body between my uh, my ankle and my waist. I want it all moist. See what she says. Roll the dice. You don't make sales if you don't make calls. You know what I mean? <sighs> all right. I digress. Moving on. Uh, Trump testified this week in his New York civil trial. <laughs> uh, folks, I got to be honest with you. I am enjoying the find out phase of the fuck around and find out game that Trump has been playing for a very long time. And it is fucking glorious. I'm going to read to you now from AP News. A defiant Donald Trump sparred with a New York judge and slammed the state attorney general suing him Monday using the witness stand at his civil fraud to defend his riches and lash out at a case that imperils his real estate empire. The former president's barbed testimony spurred the judge to admonish, quote, this is not a political rally, end quote. Trump's long-awaited testimony about property valuations and financial statements was punctuated by personal jabs at state judge Arthur Engeron, who he said was biased against him, and New York Attorney General Letitia James, who he described as a political hack. He proudly boasted of his real estate business, I'm worth billions of dollars more than these financial statements, and disputed claims that he had deceived banks and insurers. Uh, let me just pause right there. You're not worth billions of dollars more than the financial statements uh, indicate. They have the evidence that you have inflated your net worth. Uh, your own daughter has basically said that you overvaluated your shit when she testified, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, when she testified about her purchasing one of your condos. And did you just admit that the financial statements are wrong anyway? That you you filled out financial statements? You, you submitted financial statements that were off by billions of dollars? How fucking stupid is this guy? Uh, quote, this is the opposite of fraud, he declared. Referring to James, a Democrat whose office brought the lawsuit, he said, the fraud is her. On the stand, he said this. The testy exchanges and frequent rebukes from, ju from the judge underscored Trump's unwillingness to adapt his fa famously freewheeling rhetoric style to a formal courtroom setting governed by rules of evidence and legal protocol. His presence on the stand was a vivid reminder of the legal troubles he faces as he vies to reclaim the White House in 2024. It also functioned as a campaign platform for the former president and leading Republican presidential candidate to raise anew to supporters his claims of political persecution at the hands of government lawyers and judges. People are sick and tired of what's happening. I think it's a very sad day for America, Trump told reporters outside the courtroom after roughly three and a half hours on the stand. The fraud case doesn't carry the prospect of prison as Trump's upcoming criminal cases do, but its allegations of financial impropriety cut to the very heart of the brand he spent decades crafting. Engeron has already ruled that Trump committed fraud by inflating his financial statements, putting the ex-president's future control of Trump 
tower and his other marquee properties into question. The non-jury trial addresses other claims in the lawsuit brought by James against Trump, his company, and top executives, including his eldest sons. She wants the defendants to fork over what she claims is more than $300 million in ill-gotten gains and to be banned from doing business in New York. The civil trial is one of numerous legal proceedings facing Trump as he runs for a second term, including federal and state charges accusing him of crimes, including illegally hoarding classified documents and scheming to overturn the 2020 presidential election. His legal and political strategies have now become completely intertwined as he hopscotches between campaign events and court hearings, a schedule that will only intestify once his criminal trials begin. Trump has been particularly engaged in his fraud trial, aggrieved by the suggestions that he's worth less than he claimed. Quote, I'm worth billions of dollars more than these financial statements, I said earlier. Um, You go around and you try to demean me and try to hurt me, probably for political reasons, he said. His testimony got off to a contentious start with the judge turning to Trump's attorney with the judge turning to Trump's attorney at one point saying, I beseech you to control him if you can. If you can't, I will. The courtroom at 60 Center Street had already become a familiar destination for Trump, who spent days over the past month voluntarily seated at the defense table observing the proceedings. He took the stand once before, unexpectedly and briefly, after he was accused of violating a partial gag order. He denied violation, violating the rules, but Engron disagreed and fined him anyway. His turn as a witness gave him the biggest opportunity yet to respond to allegations against him. Summoned by lawyers for the state, Trump repeatedly bristled at the suggestion that he had ever intended to defraud financial institutions. He said he had misquoted, had been misquoted, or taken too literally in past public comments about his business dealings and his Florida real estate Mar-a-Lago, and said disclaimers and his financial statements uh, in his financial statements covered any missteps. He returned to a familiar position that no one had been victimized, though state lawyers contend that Trump was able to get lower interest rates and other benefits because of the wealth reflected on his financial statement. Not one bank lost money. Not one insurance company lost money, he declared. Tensions between uh, Trump and Edgar on, uh, already on display in recent weeks uh, when the judge fined him a total of $15,000 for incendiary out, uh, outside of court comments were evident early on Monday when the ex-president was repeatedly scolded about the length and comment of his answers. Engron, who determined in a ruling earlier that Trump committed fraud for years while building the real estate empire that catapulted him to fame, excuse the hell out of me, but sometimes it comes on, uh, will decide the non-jury case. He cautioned at one point that he was prepared to draw negative inferences against the former president if he failed to rein in his answers. I do not want to hear everything this witness has to say. He has a lot to say that has nothing to do with the case or the questions, the judge said. Despite the testy back and forth early in the day, Trump was later able to veer into expansive answers without anyone cutting him off, using the opportunity to rail against James, the judge, and the proceedings in general. Quote, I think that she's a political hack, and I think she used this case to try and become governor, and she used it successfully to become attorney general. I think it's a disgrace that this case is going on, Trump said. Of Engron, Trump said, he ruled against me, and he was, and he said I was a fraud before he knew anything about me. 
Oh, this motherfucker. This motherfucker, I swear to God. Dude, we've all known you've been a fraud for like fucking decades. It's not a secret. You're just now starting to pay the price for it. Because New York was content with letting you just be the douchebag running around trying to fuck every model and saying that you're rich when nobody in the rich club really wants to let you in. They were just going to let you be you. But you went and you decided to try and overturn our uh, our system of democracy. You went and decided you were going to try and overturn the American experiment. You went and you decided you were going to install yourself as a dictator over the will of the people. And now... You're not only going to pay for that, but you're going to pay for every fucking wrongdoing you've ever done to this country. You can call anybody you want a political hack, but the only person here that's really a political hack is you, Donald Trump. You're a fraud. You're a failure. You're a phony. From your fake cufflinks all the way down to your your replica minks, you're a fraud. Everything that you have portrayed yourself to be is an illusion. And you got rich because daddy loaned you some money and then you were able to get very favorable loan rates by inflating your assets. Period. Here's what I want to know. It's, it's, it's evident that while you were in office, you were using your position to enrich your family and pay off some of your debts. Uh, your son-in-law got three billion dollars upon you leaving the White House for his efforts to help the Saudi family. My question to you is this. If Jared got three billion, how much did you get? Where's that money? Or is that your escape money? Is that the money you're going to use to get out of the country as the criminal cases begin to uh, wrap up and you find yourself on the verge of going to prison. How much money did the Saudis give you for what you did for them? In addition to Trump testifying this week, Ivanka testified on Wednesday, the same day that Trump's lawyer's uh, plan was clearly to object to literally everything the defense submitted so much so that in her frenzy of objections she even objected to one of her own documents being admitted into evidence i am now going to read to you from raw story donald trump's lawyers spent wednesday morning objecting to the attorney general's office asking to enter several documents into evidence but one of them was their own As witness Ivanka Trump took the stand, prosecutors asked her several questions about conversations she had or emails she exchanged with Trump organization executives. As the messenger's Adam Classfield explained on Twitter, on several occasions, Ivanka said that she couldn't recall the conversation, so the AG's office entered documents into evidence to refresh her memory. In one case, the prosecutor showed Ivanka an email from her to Alan Weisselberg and another Trump Organization executive dated December 15, 15, 2011. It doesn't get any better than this. Let's discuss ASAP, Ivanka wrote. Haba objected to the email being entered, claiming it, uh, it was never sent. The New York prosecutors contradicted it, saying that the email was sent, showing the date. Prosecutor Kevin Wallace stepped in to address the authenticity, saying the document Haba objected to was one of their own documents. 
Justice Arthur Engeron said that he would allow the questioning on the email to continue. How the fuck do you look at your own document being entered into evidence and go, mm, objection, that, that, that email was never sent? You're the one that brought it into fucking court. The, 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 the prosecutors are just using it because it shows that when she was getting favorable terms, she was all for it. So what's that about? Ivanka Trump bought a condo in Trump Tower from Danny. Uh, she bought it for somewhere in the neighborhood of nine and a half uh, million dollars. Trump had the valuation of that condo at $20 million. She couldn't get a loan for the $9.5 million from some American banks, so she wound up getting the loan, uh, the financing for it, through Deutsche Bank. And when she testified on Wednesday and was asked about how she got hooked up with the Deutsche Banker, who was also part of the uh, group that was helping Trump do illegal things, she threw her husband under the bus and went, oh, Jared introduced me to him. I don't know who that is. I have no idea what that is. Jared introduced me to him, and they gave me a good rate, and so I jumped on it. <laughs> the fraud in this family is its permeating. It's in every corner. It's in every person. It's in every member. They are all as crooked as a question mark. Not one of them can be trusted or believed at all. fucking family just makes me want to start drinking and I don't even fucking like drinking but we got to move on we got to move on to uh, election results in case you didn't know this past Tuesday was an election day in some states not all states and Democrats won big on Tuesday excuse me little uh, little TPJ uh, AMSR for you, or whatever it is. I'm now going to read to you from ABC News. Democrats are projected to notch several key wins across Tuesday's elections, indicating both that abortion remains a motivating factor for voters and that the party can remain successful, including in red states, even in the face of President Joe Biden's poor approval ratings. A referendum to guarantee abortion access in Ohio uh, was set to pass by a hefty margin, and Democrats in Virginia were projected to flip control of the entire state legislature as the party had loudly warned that uh, unified GOP control in Richmond would result in a 15-week abortion ban. Meanwhile, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, won a second term in part uh, of the... Uh, a second term in a part of the country that just three years ago was handily won by former President Donald Trump, dealing a setback to Daniel Cameron, a rising star and state attorney general who was Republicans' nominee in the race. Here are some takeaways from Tuesday's results. One, the backlash to Roe v. Wade doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Tuesday's election results made even more plain that in the wake of last year's Supreme Court's uh, decision scrapping constitutional protections for abortion, voters are casting ballots in favor of abortion access when it is prominent when it is a prominent election issue. The Ohio vote on state issue 1 to enshrine in the state constitution the right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions including abortions 
ultimately passed by double-digit margins in a state that Trump won by eight points and which recently elected a Republican governor and senator. In Virginia, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin had pushed hard for the GOP to take over the state government while pitching that he called uh, what he called uh, a 15-week limit on abortion with exceptions, only to be rebuffed by Democratic messaging, warning that Republicans wanted to curtail access. Those two races followed a growing trend across the country, including in conservative places like Kansas and Kentucky, of states passing pro-abortion fight or rights referendums since the 2022 decision to strike down Roe v. Wade, the 1972 Supreme Court decision that first codified national protections for the procedure. And despite the consistent results, Republicans still have been unable to unify around a consistent messaging on abortion, including whether there should be federal restrictions, what exceptions should apply, and how late into a pregnancy the procedure should or should not be allowed. Quote, going into 2024, the energy is still on Democrats' side. As long as Republicans embrace unpopular abortion stances and run extreme candidates, they will continue to underperform. Fortunately for Democrats, the GOP seems unwilling to course correct, said Democratic strategist Liz Smith. And she's absolutely right. The Republicans are still holding on to abortion, even though they got Roe v. Wade overturned, because the 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 argument that the Republicans have made over the years that if we could just overturn Roe v. Wade and send it back to the states, and that's all we want, and then just let each state decide for themselves. The problem is that's not really what the Republicans want. First of all, several Republicans, uh, high-ranking Republicans, have said that they want a national ban on abortion across the board on the federal level. Well, that's not states' rights, is it? That's expansion of the federal government's powers, and that is using the federal government to overstep and overrule states' wishes, which is what you guys said you wanted in overturning Roe v. Wade. But what they found out is overturning Roe v. Wade is simply not enough because people are fucking pissed that politicians are making medical decisions for people. So even in red states, they're passing constitutional referendums or they're voting for politicians who are for abortion access. The overturning of Roe v. Wade is one of the biggest political backfires in American history. And it is going to continue into 2024. The people in the center and the people on the left are fucking pissed. And they have a handful of people on the right that are like, listen, while I don't like all of your political ideas, I also don't like the government telling me what I can and can't do with my own body, so I'm not going along with this shit. we got to have choice for people have to be able to make their own fucking choices and they're seeing it over and over and over again including in these fucking red states and it is going to continue to be an issue in 2024 now what you're starting to see over on twitter is conservative pundits saying we got to get off of the abortion issue we got to stop talking about abortion we got to make 2024 about the economy and the safety of the country and the problem is people like the glenn, uh, the glenn youngkins of the world and uh, and the people uh, the, uh, on the right wing and the republican Party in Congress still are talking about well, we got to keep making abortion illegal, we got to push for a federal uh, abortion ban, and it, it is staying in the forefront of voters' minds and it is going to backfire on the GOP in 2024. 
Another takeaway from Tuesday's election results is that it was a bad night for GOP rising stars. Tuesday's results also marked major bumps in the road for Republican rising stars. Youngkin, who won the Virginia governorship in what what was seen as an upset in 2021, has been touted as a future presidential contender, but his state's legislative elections are likely to undercut his track record given how much he involved himself in the races, spending months raising millions of dollars to help boost other Republicans. It's unlikely that speculation over Youngkin's future will fade completely, given his ability two years ago to win the governorship in a state that Biden won by 10 points in 2020, though Tuesday's election results will likely spark questions about his ability to win over Democratic voters in a post-Roe America. Quote, it appears Youngkin doesn't have much political juice as he thought he did, said Democratic strategist Karen Finney. Cameron's loss also tarnishes another emerging leader in the party. The Kentucky Attorney General, a 37-year-old black Republican, is both a protege of of Senator Mitch McConnell and a Trump supporter who was able to win the former president's endorsement. That combination fueled conjecture that Cameron would be able to bridge the Republican Party's warring uh, factions. However, his loss in uh, a state as Republican-friendly as Kentucky, despite its history of voting for Democratic governors, is likely to leave a mark. He looks set to lose to Bashir, and he did. This was posted in the immediate wake of the election uh, by more than uh, Governor Matt Bevin did in 2019, despite Bevin being swamped by approval issues. Even Kentuckians are looking at the people that uh, are backed by Trump and saying, whoa, whoa, uh, I don't know. It seems a bit much. How did Bashir win? Bashir's victory offers a potential path for Democrats looking to separate themselves from the National Party brand and succeed in less liberal territory. He ran in part on his record helping his state get through the COVID-19 pandemic and devastating floods and tornadoes, on top of touting economic development projects that he had started during his term. Cameron repeatedly sought to shift the focus to national issues, running ads trying to tie Bashir to Biden and promoting his own endorsement from Trump. However, voters of all stripes told ABC News during uh, a recent reporting trip to Kentucky that they viewed Bashir as separate from Biden, a message the governor incorporated in his victory speech Tuesday. He called his win proof that candidates should run for something and not against someone, quote-unquote. Forgive me. I have a little frog in my throat. How nice for the frog. Quote, the overall results also illustrate the strength of the ground game, clearly defining the choice of importance of connecting with voters on their terms and the issues they care about. Governor Bashir's victory in Kentucky was a prime example, Finney said. Mississippi was a silver lining for Republicans. Mississippi's gubernatorial race did offer one big silver lining to Republicans. Governor Tate Reeves won a second term, ABC News projects, amid late speculation that Democratic nominee Brandon Presley, a second cousin of Elvis Presley, could take the race at least to a runoff by keeping the governor from winning at least 50% of the vote. Presley had launched a full-court press to raise turnout among black voters in a state where African Americans make up slightly less than 40% of the population, though it was not enough to keep his challenge alive. He also tried to link Reeves to corruption allegations, which Reeves dismissed. The governor, for his part, depicted Presley as a 
part of a band of radical Democrats who haven't won the governor's mansion in more than two decades. So that's the one shining spot. And by the way, the only post that Donald Trump made about election night results was congratulating the Mississippi Republican governor for winning because everything else that night was shit for Republicans. Philadelphia elected its first female mayor. Various parts of the country made history with their election choices on Tuesday. Among them, Philadelphia was projected to elect its first female mayor. Cheryl Parker previously worked as a teacher and served in the state legislature representing Northeast Philadelphia and will serve as the city's 100th mayor. She centered her campaign around public safety, education, and economic issues, and she received endorsements from Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Her Republican opponent, David O., a former colleague of the Philadelphia City, former colleague on the Philadelphia City Council, would also have made history had he won as the first uh, city's first Asian American mayor. Elsewhere, Democratic House of Representative, uh, Representatives candidate Gabe Amo, a former Biden administration official, was projected to become the first person of color that Rhode Island sends to Congress. Biden polled poorly, or continues to poll poorly, but other Democrats keep winning. Tuesday's positive results for Democrats seem to fly in the face of recent public polling, showing a major issue for Biden, the leader of his party, raising concerns that he could be an anchor on the top of the ballot next year. However, Democrats have consistently performed well in non-presidential elections since he took office, including during last year's midterms and several special elections this year. Democrats who spoke to ABC News on Tuesday said the results don't mean they're out of the woods yet, but that the party may not be in as dire straits as some had feared. Voters in 2022 and 2023 have shown up for Democrats and are issues when the stakes are very high. That's the best news out of tonight because the 2024 stakes will be astronomical, uh, astronomical argued Matt Bennett, co-founder of the center-left group Third Way. For his part, Biden took a victory lap on Tuesday, calling to congratulate successful candidates like Bashir and Parker and seemingly swiping at polls, showing him behind Trump in key states as the 2020 rematch appears increasingly likely. Across the country tonight, democracy won and MAGA lost, Biden wrote on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, referencing Trump's Make America Great Again slogan. Voters vote. Polls don't, he said. And therein lies the key takeaway from Tuesday. You can read all the polls in the world that you want. You can see that Biden's up in these states and he's down in these states. Potential voters like this about him and don't like this about him. But at the end of the day, reality is what we need to deal in. And the reality of the situation is this. We are most likely looking at a rematch of 2020. It's going to be Joe Biden on the Democratic ticket. It's going to be Donald Trump on the Republican ticket. And you have some decisions to make. Do you like Biden? Doesn't matter. Because the question isn't, do you like Biden? It's, are you willing to tolerate a fascist state? Because that's what we'll have if we give Republicans control, including the White House. We will have a fascist state. We will put Donald Trump back in the White House. And he has already said, he just said in his Univision interview, that he is going to use the Department of Justice 
to prosecute and imprison his political enemies if he gets back in. That's it. That's what he's going to do. Everybody that was against him, right or left, is going to get locked up. He's going to suspend rules. He's going to try and impose himself as a dictator. He's going to do everything that he thought he was going to be able to do in a second term before he lost it. And tried to do at the end of his first term. Do I want Joe Biden to have a second term? No. I I would love somebody new. I would love to see a Gavin Newsom up there, a Pete Buttigieg up there. I would love to see somebody young and energetic uh, be able to to take our country in a new direction, in, in a progressive direction, in a direction that says, you know, we're done playing the old school games. We're going to make sure everybody has health care. We're going to make sure everybody can have an education. We're done playing the boomer game. But that's not what we're going to get. We're going to get Biden v. Trump. And so it doesn't matter if I want Biden to have a second term. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what he's done that I like. It doesn't matter what he's done that I don't like. It doesn't fucking matter. Because the other choice is that fucking bad. The other choice is just not an option. It's not. And so we're going to have to vote for Joe Biden again. And we're going to need to give him four more years. And then neither one of these guys are ever going to be able to run for office again. I mean, think about it. They're both in their early 80s. It's a year away from the election, and then it's four years in office. They're going to be in their mid to late 80s by the time the next election rolls around. And this country is already done with both of them. So we got one more election cycle where the boomers are hanging on for dear life. And then we'll be done with the scum. Scum being a hard word for Biden, but an apropos word for Trump. The bottom line is, we can either vote for Joe Biden or we can allow fascism to take over this country. Your vote for Jill Stein, who's going to be running on the Green Party ticket this year or next year, isn't going to do shit. Your vote for the Libertarian Party isn't going to do shit. Your vote for, uh, 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 your write-in vote for Bernie Sanders isn't going to do shit. Fuck you fucking Bernie Sanders people are the reason we got Trump in the first goddamn place. It's time to deal in fucking reality. And fucking reality tells you that it's either going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump that wins. And if you would normally vote for the Democrat, and you're not going to vote for the Democrat because you just don't like Joe Biden, then you are taking a vote away from the Democrat and you are helping the Republican win. Which means if you don't vote for Joe Biden in 2024, if you vote for a third party candidate, if you write somebody in, if you abstain from voting for the presidency but vote for all of the other positions, you are helping... Donald Trump get elected. You guys saw what your protest votes did in 2016. It's time to stay the fuck awake. You guys woke up in 2020. Stay awake for 2024. It's the, 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 the outcome, the potential disaster is the same. It hasn't changed. It, it, it's either a less than perfect candidate in Joe Biden or it's full-blown fascism with Donald Trump. That's your fucking choice. Period. All right, folks. Uh, That's all I got for you this week. 
As always, don't forget to check out the website, order yourself a book, get yourself some merch, subscribe to my Patreon, goddammit. Subscribe to the Patreon. It's $4.20 a month and you get two additional podcast episodes a month and they're a completely different format. It's with me and a guest. I think you're going to like them. I think you're going to find it engaging. Go subscribe to that. Check out the website in general. Make sure you subscribe to my, uh, my weekly blog over there. Uh, follow me on all the various social media accounts. And uh, tune in next week for another episode of the Second Half Podcast. This podcast right here. All right? All right, folks. Until then, as always, stay grateful. <laughs>